Hi everybody, my name's Mickey Bush and I'm a fully conceded alcoholic. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you for that warm welcome. Can you guys at the back see me all right? I'm really good looking. <sighs> Having a little gratitude attack. A little gratitude attack. Anybody know what I mean by gratitude attack? Huh. When I first got here, I didn't know anything about gratitude. Gratitude and me were like this, so far apart. What was there to be grateful for, for heaven's sake? Gratitude? Screw gratitude. Screw you too. <laughs> but I didn't know the truth. I couldn't define the truth from the false. The truth is I had so much to be grateful for ever since I was christened. Ever since the very first day I was christened, I've had something to be grateful for. Think about it. My name's Mickey Bush. Mickey Bush. <laughs> Think about that. Mickey Bush. That puts me somewhere between a mouse and a president. <laughs> Anywhere in that spectrum is where you're likely to find me. Not such a big gap with some of the presidents, is it? <laughs> Mickey Bush. I am really grateful they never named me Harry. <laughs> Can you imagine going through life with a name like Harry Bush? Uh, bloody rotten lot laughing at that, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know what's good for me and I don't know what, I don't know what was what. I'm really glad to be here, you know, in uh, Ocean City, I've been here before. You know, Brandon done that little introduction and those little, like, requests and everything else that I was, like, making. I have to fess up and tell you, the truth was that I was going to cancel coming here. You know, I was so burnt out on travelling, I've been travelling so much and burnt, I was just burnt out and I was going to cancel uh, coming here. But then my friend Rick and his good lady Sarah called me, we've been friends for over 25 years and he called me right at that time and said, oh, I'm really excited about coming to see you and I'm bringing my troops with me. And, and then I never had the balls to cancel, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> like all these things, as, as they're supposed to, time and flights and things just slotted right in and uh, it became okay. So I'm glad to be here, really glad to be here. I'm uh, even glad, you know, Footprints in the sand is our theme and uh, just footprints. I'm addicted to footprints. I'm addicted to footprints. I'm addicted to the footprints that were left for me to follow by the troops who went before. I'm addicted to the footprints that we spend here together, right here, right now. And I'm addicted to the footprints that we leave behind for those troops coming up behind us, that especially those those troops of one day.
Wanda. You know, you guys have got one day and are new. I remember it well. You'll hear things said. You'll hear things said like, you're the most important person in the room. Well, screw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Newcomer ain't the most important person in any room I'm in, I'll tell you. Don't matter if the whole room's new. If I ain't here doing my part, it don't make any difference. But I love, I love being available to the newcomer. I hope you're like I was when I was new. N-E-W-C-O-M-E-R. Nothing else worked. Completely out of manageability. Enter recovery. I hope you're new. I was new on January the 15th, 1983. January 15th, 1983... Broke, busted, disgusted, and not to be trusted. <laughs> I took myself to the first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting that I remember consciously going to. January 15th, 1983. Never went there to quit drinking, never had any desire to quit drinking, never had the only requirement for membership. And yet I haven't had a drink from that day to this. I'd been going to meetings for a couple of months prior to that, but I was being conned by a 12-stepper. <laughs> this English rock and roll singer had, uh, had cottoned on to me. I'd known him a long time, and he had to go to these meetings. Actually, he was two and a half years sober, and he was going to these meetings, and he, he conned me into thinking that I was doing him a favour by going with him because he had to go, and he felt lonely, so would I hold his hand? <laughs> So I did. But I was like uh, only semi-conscious most of that time, that whole period of my life. I was in a blackout most of the time. I'm a blackout drinker. Any other blackout drinkers here? <laughs> and the rest of you lying mothers, I know blackout <laughs> Whole section back there, not one hand went up. Never even knew what a blackout was. Been blacking out all my life, never even knew what it was. Yeah. But the first conscious meeting that I actually came was January 15, 1983. I could do an hour talk just on that one time in my life. Suffice to say, when I got to you guys, I was so sick... I was so sick that I didn't know I was sick. Do you know how sick that is? Do, do you know how sick it is to be so sick that you don't know you're sick? That's really sick. <laughs> and if you're as sick as I was, so sick that you come into rooms like this, room full of alkies, good alkies seems to me, and you scan the room, because I'm a great scanner. Where I came from, you had to be a great scanner. You used to have to be able to walk into any situation in any room and immediately scan the room to discover who was going to be the next victim. You know. And you scan your room and you think, well, I ain't as sick as him. Do you know how sick that is? you know how sick it is to be in a room full of alkies thinking you ain't as sick as the next guy? That's really sick. 
So if you're in here tonight wondering whether you is or whether you isn't a real alcoholic or not, I want you to know that I can relate to being as sick as you don't think you are. (laughs) (laughs) Really, really sick. And I never knew. I never knew. You guys knew. I never knew. Of course I do today, as promised more has been revealed, and I even wrote a word, sick, S-I-C-K, spiritually ill, can kill. And that's what I was. I was dying of a disease I didn't even know I had. Now, I'm not an idiot. I'm not an idiot. If there's any idiots in the room, good luck. I'm not an idiot. I'm very smart. I'm not just good looking. I'm smart. I got a PhD. Pretty heavy drinker. I'm so smart, I was dying of a disease I didn't even know I had. That's smart, isn't it? But you guys did. And you guys did what we did tonight with those two newcomers. Those two, one guy. When I was at my most unlovable, you loved me the most. Before I actually got in the room of that first meeting on January the 15th, 1983, before I even got into the meeting, I heard those magic words that have stuck with me all this time, a little over 30 years now. I was living in West Hollywood. West Hollywood down there and uh, living just above Sunset, Larrabee. Junkies Jungle, we used to call it. Anybody here know West Hollywood? I know my friend Paul does. Oh, yeah. Paul's here. It's a very special part of town, West Hollywood. You know, it's a very special part of town. It's um, commonly referred to as Boys Town. You know? So, if you don't know what I mean by that, it's the kind of town where if you drop your wallet on Santa Monica Boulevard, you've got to kick it up to sunset before you can pick it up. You know? <laughs> Nothing to do with nothing, just a place to live. If you're gay, don't be offended, no one cares. But I'd come out of a three-day run, I was in a blackout, and, you know, my best friend had told me to piss off. The guy I'd called the English rock and roll singer had been around... You know, but my best friend who was visiting from Spain calls himself an international businessman. International uh, crook is what he is. But uh, I called him up. We'd known each other all our life since we were gutter snipes after the Second World War in London, England. You know, and uh, we'd robbed and cheated and lied and screwed our way around the planet a couple of times together. I called him up and he was really pissed off. I said, what's the matter with you? Not realising that that was always what I said. What's wrong with you, not me? He said, I know it won't happen again because I won't be in your company when you're drinking anymore. Why don't you just piss off? Wow. And I threw the phone down. It was my best friend. We'd been through all kinds of, you know, detrimental situations telling me to piss off. I called this other guy, you know, an alcoholic with a phone. (laughs) 
<laughs> he was laughing. Laughing. <laughs> I said, what are you laughing at? He said, you. I said, why? He said, because you do weird shit, that's why. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And he laughed, big belly laugh. <laughs> I said, what are you laughing at? He said, I ain't had a drink for two and a half years. I said, ain't you? I said, how come? He said, because I used to drink like you. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? And he laughed. I said, will you quit laughing for crying out loud? I'm a delicate dude. I've got all these feelings. <laughs> he said, you don't realise what you got up to over the weekend, do you? I said, no, what happened? He said, have you spoke to your friend Mickey from Spain? I said, yeah, told me to piss off. And he laughed. I went, will you quit laughing? The hell's going on? He said, well, it all started after you peed in that lady's dinner. I said, what? He said, don't you remember your friend from Spain took us to that smart Beverly Hills restaurant and in the middle of the restaurant you got all ticked off at some old dame and got up and walked across the store, whacked it out and did it right in her spaghetti. Oh, my God. And I didn't remember peeing in that old lady's dinner. But, you know, I would do shit like that. And then I wouldn't remember it, and I'd go back in that store or that club or something two days later or some other time, and they'd go, Oh, my God! The hell you got the balls to come in here after what you did? And I'd go, What do you mean? Because, you know, I didn't know. Blacking out, never had a clue. You know, we have lots of humorous stories like that, but there's a serious side to that kind of stuff too. On 1966, I got released from a maximum security prison with the guy that just told me to piss off. I, I've been physically sober many, many times in my life. Many times I have been physically sober. That's why I know that there's a total difference between sober and sobriety. I know it's often confused and our literature and other things all talk about sobriety. We give chips for 30 days sobriety, but we're talking about sober. And there's a total difference between sober and sobriety. I can attest to that on a personal level. I have been physically sober many, many times in my life. Every time I was released from a joint, no matter what kind of a joint it was, I was as physically sober as I stand before you right now. Doesn't matter whether it was maximum security, minimum security, whether it was a jitter joint, whether it was a nut ward for the criminally insane, whatever kind of joint it was, I was as physically clean and sober as I stand before you right now. That's how you used to get released in those days. I wish they did that today. They don't do that today. All the treatment centres that are releasing their alcoholics and their addicts have got them on three or four different meds. I'm not anti-meds for those who need them. Enough said about that, I think. But I've been physically sober many, many times. You're going to miss the good shit now, love. <laughs> I hope everything comes out all right. 
Anybody else want to get up during the speaker? I got released from a maximum security prison sentence as physically clean and sober as I stand before you right now. Six weeks later, I come out of a blackout in chains in front of a judge on a murder charge and I've killed a man and I don't even know what I've done. I'm biting into my arms. Um, I can't define whether I'm alive, whether I'm dead. I don't know whether I'm dead. Is this hell? Is this... Where am I? I have no idea. My mind is so befogged by alcohol. I can't even define the truth from the false. That's where alcohol takes me. I don't have little slippy poos. I go out drinking and come out of blackouts in, in front of judges in chains on murder charges. Yeah. That's what I brought to Alcoholics Anonymous. Before I even got in that meeting, I walked down to that meeting on San Vicente Hill. It was an Architects of Adversity meeting. I fitted right in. It was the craziest meeting in town. I walked down to that meeting not knowing nothing about nothing. A couple of dudes standing outside. I don't know the format. I don't know what's what. I don't know that these are alcoholics participating in their own recovery by taking a commitment at a home group, being of service, welcoming wet drunks like me. I don't know that. As I approach that meeting, they tell me I was grey, shaky and smelly. One person described me as being similar to one of those creatures out of the bar in Star Wars. Anybody remember the bar in, in Star Wars? As I approached that meeting, one of those guys stepped forward with his hand out like that. I said, what do you want? He said, I want to welcome you to AA. I said, what? He said, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, what? <laughs> and the other guy said, keep coming back. I thought he said, keep coming on my back. I said, what? <laughs> he said, keep coming back. I said, what for? He said, we love you. I said, I bet you do. When dudes tell you they love you in West Hollywood, you get a bit nervous. <laughs> I snuck round them guys and went into the little community centre there, little community centre. I stood at the door and I looked in at the community centre. There was 20 or 30 folks in the room. They smoked in meetings then and the room was full of smoke. And what I distinctly remember, standing at the door and looking in and going, wow, wow. There were some celebrities in there that I already knew. And, 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 and what I remember most, I think, was there was 20 or 30 people in the room, but every one of them was talking. Every one of them was talking. There weren't nobody listening, everybody talking. <laughs> And I can remember going, wow, wow. I've been saying wow ever since. I love being an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. By far the most important thing I do on a daily basis. Why I identify 
as a fully conceded alcoholic. It's because in the beautiful book, Alcoholics Anonymous, this beautiful book, it says, we learned we had to fully concede to your innermost self that you're alcoholic. This is the first step in recovery. Now, it's the first step in recovery, but it's not the first of the 12 steps, though it's often confused by folks in AA. The first of the 12 steps has nothing to do with admitting you're alcoholic. But a lot of us think it do, and a lot of us tell those new troops that they do the first of the 12 steps as soon as they raise their hand as an alcoholic. It's not true. In fact, it has nothing to do with it. The first step in recovery, we learned we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were alcoholic. This is the first step in recovery. But it's not the first of the 12 steps, so it's often confused. That meant there was two first steps in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Two first steps. That's a doozy, isn't it? It was bad enough when there was only one. Now Mickey Bush is saying there's two. You know, but it's true. We learned we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were alcoholic. This is the first step in recovery. If it's the first step in recovery and I can't do it, I'm screwed. And I couldn't because I didn't know what it was about me that made me alcoholic. I didn't know what an alcoholic was. I didn't know what it was about me that made me alcoholic. I could say I was it, but I didn't know what it was. A lot of you guys don't either. I can ask you whether you're alcoholic and you say, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, can admit you're alcoholic. But if I ask you what is it about you that makes you alcoholic, you'll go, well, I've got a two-fold disease. Well, I can't control and enjoy my drinking. Well, one's too many, a thousand ain't enough. Or all the, other, all the other examples of endorsement that we're alcoholic. But that's not what makes us alcoholic. That's what we've got because we're alcoholic. What makes me alcoholic isn't what I do because I'm alcoholic. And what makes me alcoholic isn't the consequences and the results of being alcoholic. There's something very specific about me that differentiates me from the non-alcoholic. Differentiates me from my three sisters and brother. I got three sisters and a brother, not alcoholic. I'm alcoholic. My three sisters and brother, not alcoholic. They don't know why I drink. I don't know why they don't. <laughs> I asked them, why don't you drink? They say, I don't like it. I say, what? <laughs> what don't you like about it? They say, well, if I have one too many, I feel sick. I say, sick? You've got to drink past that. stops at sick. I mean, I puke, but I don't stop drinking. They don't laugh. They think I'm weird. Any other weirdos here? Yeah. Anybody ever heard those words? What is wrong with you? What the hell's wrong with you? For Christ's sake, what's wrong with you? And they would ask me what's wrong with me as if I knew. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh, actually, I've got a twofold disease. It's an obsession of the mind, allergy of the body. I can't control my drinking. I don't know what's wrong with me. What's wrong with you? Why do you drink like you do? Why don't you drink like I do? Because I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea why I do what I do. I just do it. 
I've always did it. That's what I've done. I'm from northwest London. You probably picked up on that, right? <laughs> this is the way I speak. Alcohol didn't do this to me. <laughs> Where I come from? I mean... Everybody drinks. I don't know why we drink. Nobody ever said why we drank. Nobody ever suggested you should. Nobody ever suggested you shouldn't. Everybody just did. We all did. Everybody did. I don't know anybody who didn't. I came in here. All you troops knew why you did it. I've heard it here tonight. I've heard folks talking about why they drank. He said they drank because they couldn't stand who they was and they was hiding behind the pain and uh, they had all these issues. Like past the tissues, I've got issues. You know. <laughs> and I think at what stage of the game do you discover that? I can't even imagine that, me. I cannot imagine going into any pub I ever drank at and saying to the bartender, oh, bartender, hit me with a triple shot of your best booze because I can't stand who I am and I want to cover up the pain tonight. <laughs> Never happened. Never happened. Oh, Mr. Dealer Man, give me an extra rock of crack cocaine because I really feel inadequate. <laughs> Never happened. Never happened. I have no idea why I do what I do. I just do it and did it and always did it. Always have. And I hear folks in meetings say they wouldn't swap their worst day sober for their best day drinking. And I think, shit, I don't know where you drink. You know? I mean, I had great times drinking for years. It was great. It was great. Drinking and drugging and robbing and cheating and lying and screwing, it was great. <laughs> then it weren't so great, but it weren't bad. <laughs> then it kind of got bad, but not real bad. Huh. Then it kind of got real bad, but not as bad as you. <laughs> then it got as bad as you, but not as bad as I'd seen it. <laughs> and then it got as bad as I've seen it, but January 15th. January 15th. Holy shit. January 15th. It wasn't so great no more. It wasn't so great in January the 15th, 1983. Broke, busted, disgusted and not to be trusted, walking around West Hollywood with less than $10 in my pocket, which was money that I'd leached off my disabled old mum. My mum just passed a little while ago, but she was disabled for many years. And, uh, you know, being a son, your sons know how to leech off of their disabled old mums, don't they? You know, there's that old saying, when a guy gets tough, the tough go home to mum. You know? And I'd leached enough money to get over Christmas and the new year from my disabled old mum. And I had less than $10 of that money walking around West Hollywood trying to look cool. Mr. Rock and Roll. I was so bloody cool, I was freezing to death. Destitute in every department. And when I was at my most unlovable, you loved me the most. You guys did what we guys did tonight. Gave each other a hug. 
you guys put your arms around me. I walked into that meeting in that community centre and down the centre of the meeting came another English rock and roll singer I'd known in a long time. He came by and put his arms around me. I went, oh, what are you doing? He said, giving you a hug. I went, get away from me, you goddamn pervert. Get away from me. I said, what are you doing here? You're bloody mental, you are. He said, we've been saving you a seat. He said, talk to these dudes. He said, I've got to lead the meeting. I said, what are you doing leading the meeting? He said, I'm 22 months sober. I said, bloody hell, 22 months sober? I, I wasn't impressed. I can remember taking half a step back. thought, God, I don't want to catch that. <laughs> sober? Talk to these dudes, he said. He said, I don't want to talk to no dudes. He said, that's what we do here. Screw you. But these two dudes wouldn't shut up. They had a wet one. And we welcome our wet ones and we talk to our wet ones. Talk, 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 talk. Talk, talk, talk. Yes, 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 yes. Shut up, yes. And then one of them he must have had the balls of 12 men because, I mean, I was no vision for you when I got here and I was homicidal and suicidal and he got up in my face and said, you're an alcoholic. I said, what? He said, you're an alcoholic. I said, that's a bloody mean thing to say to somebody, eh? <laughs> say a mean thing like that for. He said, you're alcoholic. I said, why'd you say that? He said, because if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and sounds like a duck and... Smells like a duck, it's a bloody duck. Just because he's been taking some shit and thinks he's an eagle, no, you're a duck. You're a duck, I'm a duck. Quack, quack, he went. I went, damn. This is the bloody funny farm, man. Yeah. Guys loving on you and shit and ducks and eagles and... Wow. But I didn't know it at the time. What he was doing was breaking the ice to gently lead me into an understanding of what it was about me that made me alcoholic. Because I never knew. I never knew I was alcoholic. Even when I was told it didn't register. You know, the duck and the eagle story has stood me in good stead. You know? because it was partly of what gave me the ability to understand what it was about me that made me alcoholic. Yeah. My three sisters and brother are not alcoholic. You know. My three sisters and brother, they like a drink. Once in a while they get drunk. But it don't do for them what it does for me. Come Monday morning, they take their kids to school, they pay their bills and take care of their responsibilities. They don't end up in Tijuana with me. Because <laughs> alcohol don't do for them what it does for me. 
What is it about us that makes us alcoholic? I needed to know. If it's the first step in recovery that I've got to fully concede to, how can I fully concede to it? If I don't know what fully concede, I don't know what my innermost self is, and I don't know what it is about me that makes me alcoholic. How can I do it? And if it's the first step in recovery and I can't do it, and it's even worse if I can't or don't do it, but think I have. There's a lot of people do that, you know. They don't know it, but they think, believe and say they do. Very dangerous. And I didn't know. But the duck and the eagle story led me into the belief of what an understanding of it was. See, what it was about the duck and the eagle story is that what it is about me that makes me alcoholic is that alcohol changes my perception of reality. That's what alcohol does for the alcoholic that it don't do for the normal person, the non-alcoholic. Alcohol changes my perception of reality. Alcohol changes me from a duck to an eagle. I go out drinking as a delicate little duck, have a few stiff ones, and turn into an eagle and go swooping around looking for prey. And that's not P-R-A-Y either. Alcohol changes my perception of reality. That's what alcohol does for the alcoholic that it don't do for the normal person. We think it does. But it don't. Ask our Al-Anon friends. I wish I was an Al-Anon. <laughs> I'd like to be an Al-Anon. Al-Anons have got our beautiful, wonderful 12-step program and they can drink. <laughs> That's good shit, isn't it? <laughs> but you see, alcohol don't do for them what it does for the alcoholic. You know? That's what my three sisters, they don't understand. My mum didn't. My mum never understood. I used to go out and see my mum every year. Every year I'd go round to my mum's house, things the first thing I'd do when I hit the shores, I'd go round my mum's house, I'd knock her up, I'd tell her, Mum, I'm 29 years sober. She'd say, so is the cat. <laughs> she didn't give me a pat on the back for not doing something that I shouldn't have done anyway. She'd say, I'm busy, I'm going to bingo. <laughs> Alcohol changes my perception of reality. I never knew that. How would I know that? Doctor's opinion. Doctor's opinion says men and women drink primarily because they like the effect produced by alcohol. What is that? What is the effect produced by alcohol? What the effect produced by alcohol is, it changes them from restless, irritable and discontent to a sense of ease and comfort. It changes them from restless, irritable... Anybody read this book, by the way? <laughs> it's a good idea, the alcoholic. Changes them from rest, they are restless, irritable and discontent, lest they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort. Not even ease and comfort, a sense of ease and comfort from taking a couple of drinks. Drinks they see other people taking with impunity. That's what alcohol does for me. I'd been doing that all my life. You know, weird kids like me, when I was a little kid, when I was just a little kid, you know, I don't know nothing. I'm a little kid. 
But it was so painful and so dysfunctional where I came from that people used to tell me shit and I wouldn't like it, couldn't stand it, hated it, so I would mentally change it to something I did like and then blame you for telling me. <laughs> and they'd say, where does he get this from? He's dangerous, this kid, it gets you in trouble. Lock him up, put him away somewhere. And I don't know, I'm a little kid. But I was changing my perception of the reality that I was in, didn't know it. And then I found alcohol and drugs and went on a run. Didn't know it, didn't have a clue. But you guys did. You guys did. And when I got here and discovered the journey, what a gift. What a gift. I never knew. I never had a clue. I never knew. I just never knew. Never knew nothing about nothing when I got here. Oh. I learned. It said, we learn we had to fully concede to our innermost self. So I learned. It says, we learn. But do you know what I hear the most of? Not, can I learn? Will you help me? What does that mean? What I hear most of is, I know. I know. I know. I know. Everybody knows everything. I know. Followed by, yeah, but. I know. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Oh, yeah, but. I know, yeah, but. The mating call of arseholes. It don't say, I know, yeah, but. It says, we learned. And I had to learn what it was about me that made me alcoholic. And I did. I learned what it was about me that made me alcoholic, and I never knew. Just never knew. I didn't know in the very first step what powerless was. I never knew what powerless over alcohol meant. How would I know? I mean, I couldn't work it out for myself. Powerless? Where I come from, you couldn't walk around going you were powerless. Powerless? They'd have changed me from Mickey to Michelle. You know, powerless? What did it mean to be powerless over alcohol? I didn't know. So I used to ask people, I used to ask people, what does it mean? And I would ask, you know, what does it mean, powerless? People didn't know. So they would spew out what I call the lip-flapping party line bullshit that you hear in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, a load of crap that had nothing to do with nothing. But we spew it out and then the newcomer hears it and he believes it and it ain't nothing to do with nothing. It ain't our message. And the newcomer who don't know nothing believes it is because we told him. Because we can say all we like that nobody speaks for AA and I don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. I speak in Alcoholics Anonymous but I don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. You can say there's no gurus in Alcoholics Anonymous but that new guy coming in hears me up here talking and he thinks I do speak for AA. False belief. And if I don't tell him this message, he doesn't get this message. And he may go and get drunk because he didn't hear our message and get his shot at sobriety. Now my old man, Gus, Gus, G-U-S, the guy upstairs, you know, 
He says, Mick, I gave you a life. Do with it what you want. But don't hurt one of my kids. That offends me. So I've got to do this right so that I get it right, so that I give it to you right, so you get it right, so that when some newcomer guy perhaps turns to you for help, you give it to him right and he gets his shot at sobriety and doesn't go out there and die. So I needed to know. What did it mean to be powerless over alcohol? I didn't know what powerless over alcohol was. I asked people. You know what I got told? Like what being an alcoholic was. People didn't know. So they spewed out what they thought it was and what they believed it was. Powerless. I'm powerless over alcohol. I've got no power. Yeah, well, you're a bright study. We've already discovered that. <laughs> what does it mean to be powerless? No power. All right, now what does that mean? Well, uh, can't control my drinking. Well, to control it, you've got to be doing it. And if you're doing it, you're already screwed. Well, I got a twofold disease, obsession of mind, allergy of mind. Yeah, if you're alcoholic, that's what you got, but that's not what makes you powerless. What does powerless mean? Well, I, uh, I have no power and I uh, can't... Well, I don't know what you want from me. What I want from you don't sound like you got nothing. <laughs> don't even know what powerless is. I know what powerless is. I'm sober 38,000 years. <laughs> Didn't know. I didn't know, but I learned. Powerless. It's very easy, really, isn't it? Powerless, the very word, powerless. Less power. It's not too difficult, that, is it? Powerless equals no power. No power. Powerless. It's not hard, is it? Well, what does that mean? Well, in our beautiful book, and we usually read it where I come from and how it works, not just the steps, it says, uh, you know, there's one who has all power, that one is God, may you find him now. Well, if I've got to find him, it means I haven't got him. And if he's the source and he's the power over everything, and I'm powerless, it must mean when I get here, I'm godless. Whatever form of God you have, or whatever form of degree of power you have, you haven't got it when you got here if you're a real alcoholic. Because you're in the grips of a fatal progressive disease, a negative power that's got you by the short ones and just pulls you in any time it wants. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I'm in the grips of a negative power. I am powerless to resist its demands because I have no positive power to counteract the power of the negative power, the disease, this fatal progressive disease that I'm in the grips of that is over. That long before I got here, now I was raised in a religion. I know all about God, Jesus, Buddha, Allah, Muhammad and any other noun you want to mention. I know all about that. But I never had it when I got here because the disease of alcoholism long before I got here, had gotten me to abandon God and spirituality so that along the path of life, sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly, the disease became the power in my life, dictating and dominating everything I say, do, think and feel, and in and of myself I am helpless, hopeless and powerless to resist its demands and have to do what it wants me to do, which is drink. Anybody been there? And I can't not do it just because I don't want to. I hear people in Alcoholics Anonymous say, I choose not to drink today. I say, well, piss on you. 
If I could rely on choosing, I wouldn't need to come here. Oh, I can choose not to drink today. It's easy to choose not to drink today. I did it three times in one day once. (laughs) Can't rely on it. This disease makes me do what I already don't want to do. And I can't not do it just because I don't want to, because the disease I got that I'm powerless over will make me do what I already don't want to do. So I've got to not want to do it, then do these steps and this work, so that I don't do what I already don't want to do. And if I ain't done these steps and this work, or ain't doing these steps and this work, I will do what I don't want to do, because the disease I got that I'm powerless over will make me do what I don't want to do. You think I knew that shit when I got here? I never knew that. How would I know that? You think I could work that out for myself? Now, I work with two nuns and two priests. Dedicated their life to the service of God and mankind. Couldn't stay sober. Because as far as alcohol was concerned, they had no power in their life to combat the power of the disease. Powerless. Not what I do because I'm powerless. That's a totally different thing. The absence of power. What I've just said to you just now, I said to Father Martin. Anybody here remember Father Martin? Love Father Martin. I stayed the night with him one night at his house. I spoke at Havla Grange and... uh, I told him I wanted to discuss some of this stuff with him and he, he loved me and uh, he said, come and spend the night, and I did. And we chit-chatted and he was just a, a genius old man. I love Father Marley. You know, I had far too much love and respect for him to bushwhack him like I tend to do. And I, and I asked him about it. He said, okay, Mick, shoot, give, him, give me what you got. And I told him, I just told you now about my concept of powerlessness being godless and being godless because the disease had gotten me to abandon God and spirituality. And he came forward in his chair and he went, that's exactly right, he said. Don't stop saying that. I said, that's why I'm talking to you because I'm not hearing it from anybody else, but it's so clear to me that I'm not going to stop saying it. Two weeks later, I went to listen to Father Marley do a talk. He said, he went to God and he said, God, what you have all of, I have none of. Can I have some, please? Power. I said, you stole my line. (laughs) He said, yeah, it's a good line. (laughs) See, I didn't know that. I didn't know. I thought that it was the same as everybody else. Powerless was what I did because I was powerless and all the consequences and the results, but it wasn't. And that's why something that's not written in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is so imperative. You know what's something that's not mentioned in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous? Hitting bottom. Hitting bottom's not mentioned in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. No mention of it. Nor is admittance, acceptance and surrender. Strange that, isn't it? In our meetings, what we talk about is admittance, acceptance and surrender. But admittance, acceptance and surrender ain't mentioned in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And because 
because people are not talking about what is in the program, fully conceived to their innermost self, they're talking about admittance, acceptance and surrender. And admittance, acceptance and surrender isn't our program. What we've got to do is learn to fully concede to our innermost self that we're alcoholic and then admit, accept and surrender to that. But if I'm admitting, accepting and surrendering without having fully conceded to my innermost self that I am, I'm screwed. That's why we have such a huge failure rate in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, you wouldn't know it, but go by this gathering here, but we have a tremendous failure rate in Alcoholics Anonymous, folks. You know the difference between fully conceded to your innermost self and admittance, acceptance and surrender? I'll give you a brief little... I didn't take note of... Look, I borrowed a man's watch and never took note of the time. How long did... What, how long we got here, Bill? 25, yeah, 25 minutes. Okay, good. Only 25 minutes. <laughs> On the very first page, Bill's story says war fever ran high in the New England town of which New young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned, uh, 22 and a veteran of foreign wars are returned at last. Talking about the First World War in Europe, Kaiser Wilhelm was rampaging through Europe, slaughtering my heritage, maybe some of yours. Two million men on the shores of France and other places. Going to take over the world. Did a very silly thing. Kaiser Wilhelm going to take over the world. Did a very silly thing. He upset you bad boys from the US of A. And you bad boys from the US of A came over there and kicked his ass. <laughs> Saved our bacon. We're very glad you did. Yeah. Yankee Doodle Dandy and all that, remember that? <laughs> that German army were defeated, they admitted that defeat, they accepted that defeat and they surrendered. That German army were defeated, they admitted that defeat, they accepted that defeat and they surrendered to the American advance forces. I was born in the Second World War, 1943. The Luftwaffe, Luftwaffe was bombing the crap out of London, the Blitz was on, Battle of Britain was on. Hitler was going to take over the world, promised the world a thousand year, years of Third Reich, slaughtering millions of people. Did a very silly thing. Upset you bad boys from the US of A. <laughs> and you bad boys from the US of A came over there and kicked his ass. Saved our bacon again. We're very glad you did that. But that wasn't the first time you did that. In the First World War, that Kaiser was defeated. He admitted that defeat, they accepted that defeat and he surrendered. But he didn't fully concede, so he came back and did it again. Sound familiar? <laughs> Same here. We think admittance, acceptance and surrender is the deal, but it ain't the deal. Fully concede to your innermost self that you are is the deal and then admit, accept and surrender to that. In one of my houses down there in San Fernando Valley, I, I got two parrots, parakeets, blue one and a green one. Bill and Bob is their name. <laughs> I've trained them to speak. And you can stand very closely to the cage, very quietly, and just glide, and all of a sudden go, I'm an alcoholic, an alcoholic! <laughs> Paulus, Paulus! They're bloody parrots is what they is, but they can say they're alcoholic and powerless. 
And I didn't want to be a parrot walking around here, parroting lip-flapping party-line bullshit that I never knew and had nothing to do with nothing. I wanted to know the truth, which was in the book, our message. So I learned. When it came to powerlessness, powerlessness was the absence of power. God was the source and God was the power over everything. When I first heard this, folks, it nearly run me out of here. Well-meaning people, at least I hope they're well-meaning, said things like, let go and let God. What? Turn it over to God. What? Pray to God. Pray to God? Are you nuts? If I pray to him, he'll know where I am. (laughs) I weren't going to pray to no God who was going to get me. God was going to get me. God was going to get me for everything. Everything I did, God was going to get me for it. Couldn't even play with the old ding-a-ling, for Christ's sake. (laughs) They said, don't you play with that. God will get you for that. God will strike you blind. Well, you know you tell an alky not to do something and he'll do it, so I did. When I found out how good it felt, I thought, well, I'll risk one eye. <laughs> Where's the signer? <laughs> I wasn't going to pray to no God that was going to get me. Why would I do that? And I was, I'm out of here. Screw this God shit. They said, why are you running away? I said, because I can't fly, that's why. <laughs> there were some Native, Native American brothers there and they said, Mick, come and have a chit-chat to us. We've got a way of saying things that are a little different to what we've heard you say. Maybe it'll broaden your horizons. I went, okay. And I did. I joined up with the Native American brothers. They talked to me about the Great Spirit. They talked to me about Father Sky, Mother Earth, brothers and sisters, family, F-A-M-I-L-Y. Father and mother, I love you. If you're his kid, I'm his kid. If I'm his kid, you're his kid. We either all is or we all ain't. You're my brother from another mother, sister from another mister. <laughs> I went, wow. Everything he made and created, he loved equally, from the smallest blade of grass to the Empire State Building or anything else. He loved you, he loved me. I went, wow. This was a new kind of thinking to what I'd known about. And it broadened my horizons, allowed me to stay here. And our beautiful book says, he can choose any concept of God he likes, provided it makes sense to him. That's a condition right there. He can choose any concept of God he likes, provided it makes sense to him. That's conditional. Our book that says of itself, our book is meant to be suggestive only. May have bloody well meant to be suggestive only, but it ain't. You know, it's got clear-cut, precise instructions, directions and rules to follow. It's a wonderful thing, you know. Our 12 steps... Every known denomination known to man, every known religion or sect claim that our 12 steps came from their teachings, whether it's the Koran, the Torah, the Bible, the Old, the New Testament, whatever spiritual writings you read, all claim that our 12 steps came from their teachings. And they may well have done. Bill was a crook. 
He stole from wherever he could get whatever he wanted. So he probably plagiarized wherever he wanted and he wrote the 12 steps. But today, what a wonderful fellowship to belong to. What a wonderful fellowship to belong to. We have no truck with anybody's preference along these lines. Whatever makes sense to you is okay with us. Ain't got to make sense to me, but if it makes sense to you, it's fine with us. We've learned some shit around here since we first initiated this thing. You know, this power that we have here this power that we have in rooms like this where alcoholics come together to do together what they couldn't do apart. This power, this power that's of God and from God and provided by God, but ain't God. This power that we have in rooms like this that's of God and from God and provided by God, but ain't God. There's a lot more to God than the power he provides alkies to not have to drink today. But this power all over the world, this power that we have right here, right now, where one alcoholic comes together with another alcoholic to do together what they couldn't do apart. And I read that in the big, big book, the Bible. B-I-B-L-E, being informed before leaving earth. I like that. You know, it said, when any two are gathered in my name, there I will be in your midst. I went, whoa, that's what we do in AA. Two alkies come together for the purpose of recovery. God comes in our midst and produces a power greater than either of us. So we can, it's produced by us, but it's greater than us. And we can absolutely depend upon it to not have to drink today. I went, whoa, I like that. That's good shit. Yeah, I'm going to have some of that. You know, and, and you know what? You know, whatever your concept of God may be, they tell me there's probably 1,200 people or so here. Whatever you believe in God or a power greater than yourself, whatever works for you is okay by us. You know why? Because if you be alcoholic and you've got a sense of power that makes sense to you, it's got something in contact with everybody else's. Whatever your God is, whatever your sense of power is, has got something in common with all of ours. You know what that is? All the gods, if there's 1,200 different gods in here tonight, they've all got at least one thing in common. You know what that is? All the gods send their alkies here. (laughs) Don't they? That's good shit, isn't it? So we have no truck with anybody's preference along these lines. You know, we've got a power greater than ourselves that we can absolutely depend upon to not have to drink today. And, and in step two, there's an automatic assumption that a power greater than the self is God, Jesus, Buddha, Allah, Muhammad or any other noun. And it doesn't say that. Step two doesn't say that. But there's an automatic assumption that it does and it nearly run me out of here and some other people that are very damaged in this area like I was and atheists and agnostics are also put off and some some don't come back. But it says a power greater than self. But here's the power greater than me. Me plus you is a power greater than me. You plus us is a power greater than you. Together we can do what I couldn't do alone. Here's the power right here, right now. I never had it when I got here. I was helpless, hopeless and powerless. Never had a clue. Never had a clue what was wrong with me and never knew what to do about it. My name's Mickey Bush. I'm an alcoholic. I'm in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I know what's wrong with me and I know what to do about it. Never had that when I got here. And the beautiful book says, you know, elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. A far greater demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations and affairs. I went, whoa! Holy shit. 
elimination of our drinking was but a beginning. Now, I hear people say alcohol's just a symptom. Do what? <laughs> alcohol's just a symptom? Where the hell does that come from? Who invented that? Alcohol's just a symptom? That's like saying tomorrow's game, the ball is just a symptom of the game. <laughs> we say shit like that. You know. You know, this disease, this powerful, cunning, baffling disease was so powerful it made me do what I already didn't want to do. And I had no positive power to resist its demands. So I was in the grips of this negative power. In our meetings, we say things like everybody's bottom's different. And it's not mentioned in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, hitting bottom. Bill never wrote about hitting bottom in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, but in the beautiful 12 and 12 that he wrote 12 years later, more was revealed to him as it is promised would be revealed to us. In the 12 and 12, in the very first step, he says, why all this insistence that every alcoholic must Hit bottom first. Now think about that. That's some ballsy crap to say to a bunch of drunks, isn't it? We insist that you hit bottom first, Father Mucker. <laughs> yeah, we'll hit bottom on this. Yeah. But it was so important that although Bill never mentioned it in the program, he insisted that we all hit bottom first. Why? Because hitting bottom, far from being different from everybody, is the same. I know in our meetings we say everybody's bottom's different. Better not be different. There's no unity in being different, but people don't understand. It's another thing that we don't understand, like alcoholism and powerlessness. Hitting bottom isn't different for everybody. Hitting bottom's the same for us all, not different if you'd be alcoholic of our kind, certainly the kind that Bill was in the hospital when he had the white light and he said, if there is a God, let him show himself. See, hitting bottom, H-I-T-B-O-T-T-O-M, hurting inside, totally burnt out, turned to our master. See, the outside circumstances and conditions of our life may be different, but that's not what hitting bottom is. People think it is, but it's not. You ask people about hitting bottom and they'll tell you the devastating circumstances of their life and the condition that they've reached and the downward spiral that has occurred for them. But that's not what hitting bottom is. That's the outside circumstances and conditions of our life, which may be different for everybody. But hitting bottom's not about the outside circumstances. Hitting bottom's an inside job, not an outside circumstance. Those outside circumstances sometimes enable us to become capable of hitting bottom, but in and of themselves they're not the bottom. We think, believe and say they are. You'd be amazed at what I get told because I ask, A-S-K, ask saving kit, help, H-E-L-P, his ever loving presence. I ask people, have you hit bottom? Bill insists that we, uh, everybody must hit bottom first. My troops, I say, have you hit bottom? They say, yeah. One little couple I'm very fond of, 
I just asked recently, I said, have you hit bottom? The little chickadee, she said, yes, Mick, I've hit bottom. I said, I'm curious, tell me about it. She said, it's easy. I was feet to the curb, hustling the Broadway, prostituting myself, trying to earn a dollar so I could get loaded. I said, that wasn't your bottom. She said, well, I think it was. I said, I don't give a shit what you think. <laughs> I said to her, dude, have you hit bottom, pal? He said, yes, Mick. I said, tell me about it. He said, it's easy. I was locked up in a penitentiary, married to Bubba. I said, that wasn't your bottom. He said, it felt like it was. <laughs> you got bad minds is what you got, bad minds. See, hitting bottom is what happened to me on January the 15th, 1983, and in some capacity or other it happened for you somewhere along the line. Because hitting bottom isn't about the outside circumstances, hitting bottom... On January the 15th, 1983, in desperation and despair, I had the gift of desperation, G-O-D, gift of desperation. I don't know what you brought to recovery, but what I brought to recovery was a lot of hurt and hate. Hurt and hate. That's what I brought. Hurt and hate. I hurt and I hate everything. I hated women. I couldn't stand women. I hated homos and queers and anybody different. I hated black people. It's totally racist and prejudiced. I was from London, England, living in Los Angeles, and I hated foreigners. <laughs> I couldn't stand me. I hated you and get away from me and don't come near me. And with all that torment and turmoil going on inside, I still had to try and present to you a picture of somebody you would like. Because <laughs> when your higher power is what people think of you, if you don't like me, I'm screwed. And in desperation and despair, without knowing what I was saying and who I was saying it to and what the results of what I was saying was going to be, I can remember as clear as crystal going, Help me, please, help me! What's wrong with me? And asked for help from outside of myself. And although years ago I'd abandoned him, he hadn't abandoned me. And when I turned back to him and asked for help, he seemed to be looking over my shoulder. And he seems to say, Mick, you silly bastard. Get yourself over that 12-step fellowship. Sent me to you. I asked for help and he sent me to you. Because here was the power he provided for an alcoholic of my kind, your kind, our kind, beautiful book says, to not have to drink, to die. Why would I go anywhere else or not come to you? I ain't going to do that. I'm staying right here with you, where I belong, where I bloomed, where I blossomed. <sighs> Elimination of my drinking is but a beginning. A far greater demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations and affairs. Now, I don't know Ocean City very well. I'm from Santa Monica, California, previously of London, England. I don't know whether you're good at affairs or not, but we're not very good at them down there. We don't seem to be able to manage relationships very well. You may be better at it than we are. The R word, relationships. Anybody know what I mean? 
I wrote a word for relationships. R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P. Really exciting love affair turns into outrageous nightmare. Sobriety hangs in peril. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you relate to that one, huh? Yeah. All the sickos like that. How are we doing time-wise, Bill? Five? You know, I love being an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous, so I never knew that when I got here. I love very gentle baby steps if you're new or returning. I didn't know what was going on. I hadn't been here very many minutes, and a guy said, Mick, come on, we're Tuesday night, we're going to uh, wash the cups at the Tuesday night meeting. I said, I don't want to wash the cups. He said, we're going to get drunk. I said, I don't want to get drunk. He said, come and wash the cups. Alright. <laughs> 200 hairy ass mugs, big chunky mugs, not delicate, nice little cups. Hour after the whole meeting's gone home, I'm up to my elbows in water washing goddamn cups with butts and God knows what else in it. <laughs> Felt like a right nerd. Washing cups, 200 hairy ass cups. During the week, he said, Don't forget, Mick, he said, If they let us, we'll go and wash the cups on Tuesday night. I said, I don't want to wash the cups. I don't even wash my own cups. He said, we'll go and get drunk. I said, I don't want to get drunk. He said, come and wash the cups. <laughs> Standing there again like a right dick, washing cups. <laughs> Hour after everybody's gone home, I'm got, like washing cups. Superstars not washing goddamn cups. <laughs> Next week, he said, come on, Mick, wash the cups. I said, we washed the cups last week. He said, they need washing again. I said, God damn, I don't want to wash the cups. He said, well, you don't want to get drunk. Come and wash the cups. Four months this went on for. Four months. Four months. I'm up to my elbows in water washing goddamn cups. Washing the cups one night. Guy came and stood at the end of the sink. Right there, right there. I said, what do you want? He said, sponsor said I've got to wash the cups. I said, what cups? He said, I guess them cups. I said, piss off and get your own cups. These are my cups. <laughs> you ain't having my cups, these are my cups. <laughs> I didn't know that in your way of doing things here in Alcoholics Anonymous, you was changing me, like the doctor's opinion said, unless he can induce an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. And why we have to change, no matter who we are or what we bring here, why we have to change is so that I don't drink over not changing. That's why i got to change. doesn't matter whether you think you're enough or all right. Whatever you is, we got to change. My men of the cloth and the nuns, they got to change. Because it ain't okay for me to be who I am. Who I am goes out and goes into blackouts, comes out of blackouts in chains on murder charges in front of judges. That is not all right. If you think it's all right for you to be who you are, go and ask your loved ones and your family, is it all right for me to carry on doing what I'm doing? <laughs> if they say, yes, we think you're a fine fellow, well, then we applaud you. you know. <laughs> i got to change so that I don't drink over not changing. 
You know, I, 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 if you're wondering whether you is or whether you isn't a real alcoholic in here tonight, I'll give you a little clue. They say if you're laughing, you're relating. And if you're relating to a sick bastard like me, there ain't no doubt about you, pal. <laughs> I don't get through to well people. Well people don't laugh at my shit. You know, there's a little story I'd tell because I've been an active member ever since day one and I never knew nothing about nothing, but I do today. When I got home from that first meeting, I had two telephone numbers in my hand and guess what? I know you don't, but I did. I called one. I called one of the numbers. Guy answered the phone. I said, I don't know who you are, pal. I've got your phone number in my hand. Oh, he said, I recognise your accent from the meeting at lunchtime. Oh, I said, was you at the meeting? He said, yeah, I gave you the number. <laughs> Told you I wasn't glued together very well, you know. I said, what about them meetings? He said, what about them? I said, you go to them meetings? Yes, he said. I said, how long have you been going to them meetings? He said, four months. I said, what does that mean? He said, I'm four months sober. I said, four months sober? Wow. I said, you go to them meetings at night? Yes, he said. I said, can I go to one of them meetings with you tonight? He went, well, normally I would say yes, he said, but uh, tonight I've made arrangements to go to a movie, so I'm going to a movie. Felt all rejected, went all little inside. Do you know how we do? <laughs> all right, don't matter, don't matter. And he picked up on it like we do. He went, wait a minute, holy shit, what is wrong with me? I said, what's the matter? He said, you may have just saved my life. I said, no, i never done nothing. <laughs> I didn't know it was a disease of denial. D-E-N-I-A-L, don't even notice I am lying. <laughs> He said a newcomer wants to go to a meeting and I tell him, no, I'm going to a movie. Holy shit, why? where do you live? I'm coming round to pick you up. I said, really? He said, really? I said, what about your movie? He said, you're much more important than a movie. Went all special again, didn't I? <laughs> he came round and picked me up, didn't he? Took me to a meeting. Got me a beautiful book, Alcoholics Anonymous, third edition. Got lots of miles on it, it's falling apart. Heard a man at a meeting say one day, anybody who's got a book that's falling apart usually isn't falling apart themselves. Fast forward 20 years. I'm out in Balboa Park, San Fernando Valley, and I've got all my troops around me. I ain't got no money, but I've taught them what you guys taught me when I had no money. How to be of service. How to give back. We can do security. We can do clean-up. We can contribute to the greater good of the whole. Walking around with my troops, I bump into this guy, old Zachary. Hi, Zach. I said, how are you doing, man? He said, I'm doing great, Mick. He said, I know you're doing good. I hear good things about you. I said, I'm doing great. I said, what are you doing over here, Zach? Because he lives in Beverly Hills. We're in the valley. I said, what are you doing over here, Zach? He said, I'm speaking at the meeting event today. I said, really? He said, yeah. And guess what? 20 years later, he's still four months ahead of me. <laughs> it's those actions we take, isn't it? No pedestals. Don't put anybody on a pedestal. We're all the same. Somebody just told me I was a celebrity in Alcoholics Anonymous. Buy two celebrities. Come out of the old home group meeting, two celebrities, Academy Award winning actresses, said, Mick, I haven't seen you in a while. I said, I don't live here anymore. 
I said, wanted to come to the old home group, glad to see you. One of them said, I didn't realise what a celebrity you'd become in Alcoholics Anonymous, Mick. I said, what do you mean? She said, you're like this 12-step celebrity dude. Everybody knows you. You go around talking to everybody. She said, I was going, I'm making a movie in New York. She said, I went to two meetings in New York, and in both the meetings they quoted you, mentioned you by name. You're like this 12-step celebrity. I said, yeah, bloody big deal, a celebrity in an anonymous program. <laughs> I said, no, you're a celebrity. I'm just a small part of a great whole, and I love that. My telephone number is 818 area code, are you sober? 818-R-U, like Toys R Us, S-O-B-E-R. S-O-B-E-R, son of a bitch, everything's real. 818-R-U, not 800, you cheap bastards, 818. (laughs) And just in case anyone's offended by me saying shit, even my mum used to let me get away with a couple of shits because I told her, mum, it's a message carrier. She said, what do you mean? I said, shit, S-H-I-T, simply how I think. (laughs) I wrote one for you as well, crap, C-R-A-P, carrying resentments against people. (laughs) Namaste, thank you for having me. (laughs) 